Good morning. If you would, turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 through 30. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to be a little bit around that too, but that'll get you close. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the weight of the world. One of the issues we often struggle with in the Christian life is this idea that we have to take where we're at, how we view the world, how we view life, how we interact with those things, and we have to often link it to actually how Jesus would have us look at it, how the thing actually is. We often talk about reality, how we can see reality, how we can witness reality, those kind of things. But often our reality is skewed, sometimes behind our own thoughts that are maybe wrong or erroneous, sometimes maybe around even feelings, emotions that cloud our judgment. It's easy for those kind of things to happen. We live in a world where it's really hard sometimes to get clear-cut answers. And so, in the midst of this, you have Jesus talking. And he kind of precedes this by talking about how this generation views everything. And we'll read that section a little bit later. And he talks about this idea that it's never good enough for some people. Sometimes they want God to be this way. Sometimes they want him to be that way. But it never suits them. And it's an excuse that they use. And then he talks about what happened in ministry. How he went to these different towns and he did these ministries. And how if he had done miracles and healings in other towns in the past. Towns like Sodom or Gomorrah. Tyre and Sidon. If he had done them there, they would have listened. They would have turned. But instead, these towns, they refuse. They refuse to listen. They refuse to hear. And then he talks about this idea of that, Father, they miss it. And he he even says, he, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And he talks about how they have hidden these things from the wise and the learned because they don't really want to know. They just want to compare it to what they think they already know. And how that's not how God operates. So, as we enter into the text today, We're going to talk about this idea of how we enter in and we listen to God, how we hear God through the scripture, and God applies it to us and not the other way around. We don't try to apply the scripture to God as if we're trying to put him somewhere. We're trying to see where he would put us. So, Matthew 11, 25 through 30, that's where I'm going to start. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent, and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let us pray to the God that spoke those words. Heavenly Father, here we are, entering into this, your text. Lord Jesus, help us to understand what you just said. Help us to hear, to listen, and to submit to what you would show us. Father God, your presence is here right now and we want to partake. We want to 
calm ourselves, and listen. We want to grow deeper. We want to grow further into our relationship with you. Help us, Lord God. As we desire to love you better and truer so that we can love our neighbor better and truer. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit who directs our paths. Amen. So here we are. So what does it mean? What does it mean? If we want Jesus to show us, if we want Jesus to correct us, what does that mean? Well, there's a gauge in an airplane. And uh, I didn't know this. I've never flown before. But I was uh, reading some stuff, and it's called an attitude indicator. And what it does is it tells you if the plane's level, if it's tilted slightly, and also if it's upside down. Which it think, you would think that you could look out the window and you could see that if the plane was upside down. Well, it turns out you can't sometimes. And ironically, uh, this indicator came about because a lot of planes started to fly at night. And they started to fly through bad weather and through circumstances that it caused a lot of problems. Haze, fog, clouds, uh, even at night over water. You don't think about it, but I guess on a cloudy night going over the water, it is pretty much almost impossible if you're up in the air to figure out which way's up without this device. Now, that's weird, and that's kind of odd, but what happens is we still have plane crashes often when this gauge, this indicator, is in the plane. And you think to yourself, why? But the problem comes in when you're flying a plane like this, and especially even small planes, and you're going along and you're clipping along a pretty good pace, you can be upside down and you will actually feel like gravity is pulling you down still, like you're on Earth. You don't feel the blood rush to your head because you're going so fast. You don't feel the blood rushing to your head because, ironically, a lot of times they end up kind of swaying at night. The pilots do unintentionally because they can't see anything to judge. And so you actually feel, and even the pilots have talked about this, they feel like they're fine, they're upright and everything, and they can't understand why this meter, this indicator in front of them, tells them they're upside down. Uh, JFK Jr., I don't know if you guys remember that, 1999, uh, he crashed his plane because of that. That's one of the major causes of that wreck. He couldn't figure out where ground was and where the sky was. And this little indicator does that. It's supposed to help you. But it can only help you if you believe that it's right and you're wrong. And in the midst of this, what we see here in the scriptures is Jesus asking us to enter into this idea that he's right and what we often feel about the world is wrong. We're mistaken. Reality is what Jesus is telling us it is rather than what we think it may be. And some of the pilots talked about this kind of feeling they get, and it's, and it's so counterintuitive because they literally have to fight every urge in their head to not keep the plane upside down. And they have to fight that to get it right side up. And finally, you know, often they get out of the haze or they get out of the fog. Sometimes it's uh, weather, and they have to actually fly out of the weather before they know. And then they discover that the gauge was right the whole time, and they were wrong. And uh, the scary part is, ironically, a lot of times... You don't have but like a minute and a half to realize the error until it's too late. 
Because if you think you're upside down, or I should say, if you think you're right side up, and you're flying, and your altitude keeps saying you're losing, then you're going to keep pulling up, thinking you're going up, but you're actually going down. And a lot of pilots just crash their planes like that. You think about that. That's just, that's nuts. I mean, what in the world? But here we do, we live in a world where often we see this. People often, we they walk into self-destruction of their lives, not because they don't think they're right, but because they do think they're right, and they think that Jesus couldn't possibly know. There's no one that could possibly be able to tell you what reality is like. And Jesus is that attitude indicator, telling you that you're upside down, telling you you're going to crash if you just listen. So here in the midst of this, we're going to talk about this. So the first thing is on Jesus' terms. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. What we see right here is Jesus' terms are He reveals Himself. He chooses that. How that looks, what that is for us. And oftentimes, that's not what we want. We want a God who tells us what we want to hear. Oftentimes, that what we hate or what we like is what He hates, what He likes. Oftentimes, that what we do and how we are to people, it's justified. Or, or even how often our attitudes and the way we have feelings and stuff, that those are all just fine. And God's okay with that. And here in the midst of this, Jesus is saying, actually, how I reveal myself is up to me. And your call is to walk into that, come into that with me. You don't get to put it on your terms. You do it on my terms. This is usually when we talk about submission to God and His will rather than our own. But if you go back just a little bit, it's a pull to want to do this. And, and Jesus knows it. He says, uh, starting in verse 16 of chapter 11, But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. When you read that, you think that maybe Jesus is talking about himself. He's the one that played the flute. He's the one that, that sang the dirge. It's not that way at all. It's actually the opposite. The, the generation is saying that, look, we played the flute for you because we wanted you to dance. And God sent John the Baptist, and John the Baptist did not dance. He sat in the wilderness, and he told them, repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. And he even talks about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You brood of vipers, who told you the end was coming? Who told you that? You shouldn't have known. He didn't do what they wanted him to do. He was supposed to approve of what all they did. He was supposed to just go along with the program and dance for them like a trained monkey. But he didn't do it. And then it says, we wailed and you did not mourn. Well, now they're all into it. Now they're into this idea. The Romans have conquered us. We're conquered people. What we need now is a dirge. What we need now is a sad song. We need someone to come along and tell us how it's all going to be destroyed and we're going to be okay and it's all going to be fine. And then Jesus comes. Drinking and hanging out with sinners. Teaching people about the love of God. The kingdom of God is near. And that even the worthless, helpless people are entered into that. They can come in if they want. It wasn't what they wanted. It wasn't what they thought. 
it should be. And you can see that because he says in verse 18, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus says, Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. If you want to read that into how we would say it now, wisdom is as wisdom does. That's what he means. Jesus is basically saying, just look at our lives and you can tell that we're vindicated by what we do. John the Baptist was literally one of the last of the Old Testament prophets. The last one to call Israel back to where they were supposed to be. And Jesus enters in, and not only does Jesus enter in as a prophet, but he enters in as something much, 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 much bigger. God himself. Emmanuel, God with us. To not just tell us that now the kingdom of God is near, but now he literally says it, now the kingdom of God is at hand. It's with me right now. I'm bringing it in. And here this means that Jesus chooses his ways. And one of the things he says about this is, here, these things from the wise and the intelligent, they have been hidden, but yet have been revealed to the infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. The infants, another word for helpless, another word for immature, another word for spiritless, another word for pitiful, like that kind of people. That the wise and the learned thought that they could have it. They thought if they just knew enough knowledge, they could possess it. And God said, that's not the way it's going to work. I choose how I do it. And for God's choice, it is to reveal it to those who want it, need it, have to have it. In the midst of that, it reminds me of sometimes the way ambulances work. They go to people and they offer to help them. And sometimes people can say, no, I'm fine. I don't want your help. And they have to go away. And that doesn't always end well for the people they go away from. They actually did need somebody, but they didn't want it. I had a second grade teacher, uh, and she was really nice to me. And the summer after I passed second grade the first time, I don't know, sometimes you have to say that. I remember hearing about, in the paper, uh, she ended up passing away, and she was young. Uh, She was maybe 30, 36, 37. She wasn't that old. And uh, my cousin at the time, uh, she was friends with her. And she had told our family about what kind of happened, and what had ended up happening is she had, uh, for whatever reason, something happened with her car, and she ended up smashing into a dumpster. And it hadn't been fast. It had just been a jolt kind of a deal. Well... People saw, and they called the ambulance, and the ambulance got there, and they checked their all out, and they're kind of like, well, you know, we'd love to to take you back to the hospital and make sure you're okay, though, before we say that you're all right. We don't see anything, but that doesn't mean that there couldn't be something else. And she felt fine, and she said, no, I'll be okay. I'm just going to be sore, probably, you know? And so she went back to uh, her house, and she went to bed that night, and she didn't wake up. She bled to death. Throughout the night, she had had hemorrhaging on the inside. And when you think about that, you you think they knew what they were talking about, but oftentimes we feel like we know better. We know better. I know me. And in the midst of that, Jesus is saying, 
but you can't. You can't know you the way you, you need to. I know you better. And in the midst of that, he says that you've got to come to me. He says that the ones who I choose to tell about the Father, to reveal to them, we're the infants. It's a good thing to be. It's a good thing to be hopeless, helpless, and hapless. Because that means that God pities us. And that doesn't just mean God pities us like we're poor, fragile kittens out on the side of the street. But that he loves us and cares for us. And here the path forward in Christ is not to make God in our image, but to allow him to remake us into his image. You see, we're being invited into something. We don't get to dictate it on our terms. We get to enter in on God's terms. So the proclamation is we must come to Jesus, take up his teachings, and obey to have peace in our souls. Shedding the burdens. Verse 28, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens. The burdens that he's talking about, there's some historical ones, and then I think we have our own sometimes that we bring into it. The historical ones are this idea that you're going to work your way to heaven. This is what they felt. They felt you had to work your way there. You not only had to please God, but you also had to obey all these rules that are pleasing to God. And without those things, you can't actually say you're pleasing God. So therefore, if you can't keep the 600-odd rules, God's angry at you. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So they spent their time trying to work their way into it. And here Jesus says that you're weary and you're carrying heavy burdens. And that's part of what he means is those heavy burdens of you're trying to obey a law that you couldn't ever obey. You're trying to do it on sheer will alone. That you could just will yourself to do it better. He then talks about all throughout, especially in the Beatitudes, this idea that the kingdom isn't about how it looks, but actually how it is. And so one of those burdens, especially for the Jews in this historical time, Pharisees and Shazashis, was reputation. Your reputation mattered. How you were perceived. What people thought of you. And Jesus says, that's also a heavy burden. That's also something we bear that we don't have to. You see, because he talks about it, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Because there's something going on. Those burdens that we carry like that, they weight us down. They're shackles. And we think that if we just do better, if we just did enough, if we just followed this rule good enough, if we just had people think of us well enough, it would be okay. And actually, the opposite's true. The more we do those things, the more actually it kind of seems like we're dying on the inside. It's killing our spirit. Because we put ourselves in such a position where we have to earn God's love and we have to earn the approval of people. And I would even extend it to the other burdens that we think we bear too. How about the burdens of loneliness? How about the burdens of anger, of shame? How about even the burdens of denial that we think that we're not good enough? What about all those? You see, the beautiful part about the kingdom of God is God not only tells you how reality actually is, he then re-tells you 
what you were originally created to be. That you were never meant to be hopeless, helpless, hapless. You weren't worthless. You weren't a lonely, sad individual. But that when you live your life in opposed to that reality of who God is and what the kingdom looks like, that that's where you'll go. Because then you're trying to carry your own weight. You're trying to carry your own burdens. You're trying to earn your way to something. And the worst part is, do you even want to? What would it look like if you could please every law you think God wants you to do? What would that look like? Would you actually be holy at the end of it? Would you actually feel closer to God? Or would you be so exhausted that you couldn't even love God anymore? That's where it goes. And here we carry those burdens hard. We don't do well with them. And that's why Jesus declares our burdens should be dropped and let go of so we can live and find rest. He says there, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That phrase, that idea is that you drop them. It's like getting back from a good vacation and you walk through the doors with your suitcases and you just drop them. You're done. It's over. You're home. That's where it's at. That's what he means. So we must come to Jesus, but that means taking up his teachings and obeying to have peace in our souls, which means we find rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus' teachings bring a way of love, not of work. You see, we have it in our heads that you've got to work through it. You've got to have all those feelings and emotions that go with it. But what God's actually saying is, you need to love me first. If you love me first, you'll be able to do anything I ask you to do. Anything. And he will ask us to do stuff. That Shema that Jesus repeats, somewhere around Matthew, I think, 23 is this idea that you love God with your entire heart, soul, and mind, and that from those things, from loving God like that, that second commandment flows out of it, and you'll love your neighbor as yourself. They don't, they don't happen separately, they happen together, because the more you love God, the more you obey God, the more and the deeper your relationship with Him gets, the deeper and easier it is to love your neighbor. And that's the reality he's inviting us into. You've been taught for too long that you can do it your own way. And God's saying, no, you've got to come in and we're going to do it our way, finally. Jesus' burdens are the reality of life. He does say, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Which means he's got a yoke and which means he's got a burden that we bear. But the burden is this, to love God with everything you have and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the yoke and that's the burden. That's heavy enough. We don't need to add to it. Reminds me of uh, NASCAR or Formula One cars. If you see a NASCAR or you see a Formula One car, they got these weird swoops and they got these weird angles and stuff on them. And the whole reason is because they're really actually light. And I don't mean light as in they're really like light, you could just pick it up, but light as in it's light for a car. They go really fast. Formula One cars go really, really, really fast. 
And the whole reason why they can go fast is they're actually under a lot of weight. They don't stack them with weight because that doesn't actually work very well. But what they do is they make all these angles and they make all these lines on this car so that when they're driving along, the air actually pushes down on the car and keeps it on the track. NASCARs work that way. And they also work that way when they spin out. You see those little things now. They have like fins that pop up. Those are meant to slow. Those are called air brakes. But in, in actual form, Formula One, when they race, those corners and those turns that they go on that look so well dangerous for one, but I could never do it. I don't have the stomach for it. You actually have to go fast. If you go slow around those corners, you'll crash because there won't be enough downforce to keep your tires on the track. So there's corners where the minimum mile per hour, you can actually take that corner, it's like a hairpin, is 100 miles an hour. Because if you take it any less speedily, you will crash. So you think about that. We always talk about, yeah, slow down, the corner's ahead. And for, in Formula One, speed up, the corner's ahead. You think about that. It's weird. But that's because the burden. The burden's on the air. It has to push down on the wheels to make it work. Likewise with Jesus. The deeper we go, the faster we go in this relationship with him, especially those burden, that light burden is what keeps us down. The other doesn't make sense. We carry all our own garbage and then we want to walk with Jesus. And what it's kind of like is in NASCAR, you never see him ride with anybody. You know why? Because another 180, 190 pounds of another individual in that car would slow it down. but they have that swoop on the back that pushes the car's tires down. That's got Yeah, but they don't need a person in there too. Likewise with us. If you're going to carry your burdens, you're going to carry your weight, you're not going to get very far with Jesus. It's not going to work. But if you drop it all and you take on his burdens, his yoke, you got just enough traction to get where you need to go. Here in the midst of this, Jesus teaches us how the world really is. And in that truth, we can find rest in him. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the rest as in at the end of a journey. And think about that. That's how Jesus describes his relationship with him. Is it's not a journey in and of itself. It's actually like coming home. It's actually like being where you should be. Being where you want to be. You ever think about that? When I'm getting ready for bed, I never think it's a burden to get ready for bed. All I can think of is I can't wait to get in that bed and go to sleep finally. And that's what he says it's like. It's like you finally get to live, you finally get to walk, you finally get to do everything you've wanted to do, but it's all done in this burden of loving God with everything you are and loving your neighbor as yourself. So it's not a work that you're doing, it's actually a peace, a rest that you're doing. Because it's where you should be. We must come to Jesus, take up his teaching, and obey to have peace in our souls. The truth of the gospel is given to us by Jesus. If you would, before the invitation hymn, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we sing this song, help us to call to mind things, burdens, doubts, fears, attitudes, hearts that are more about how we want to fit you into our life rather than how we need to be fit into yours. Help us. Help us to surrender it all. Help us to ask for your forgiveness 
And Father, quite honestly, we may not know what that's going to look like. If we put these burdens down, there's a lot of fear. What is that going to be? How's that going to look like? What submission do you going to, going to do for us? Help us, Father God, to trust you. The creator of the heavens and the earth. The Lord Jesus who thought enough of us to die for us. To invite us into his kingdom. Help us to trust you. That you are who you say you are. We thank you. We praise you. Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. The invitation hymn is 316. And we'll do one and four.